Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm going to download some Falcon screen and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker and, and spaceman Chris Evans. Pop up the jam. And we have freelance writer and critic and jam man, Farad Nehru. Hello, fellow aliens. As we might have foreshadowed, we'll be discussing briefly the new trailer for a sequel to a film you may or may not have seen as a child in the 90s or later if you weren't a child in the 90s or if you were an adult in the 90s, you would have seen it then because you would have taken your kids to it. It's Space Jam 2. Who's who's excited? Yeah, the yeah. best Bill Murray movie, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, um, well, there's Groundhog <laughs> there's Day. There's a provocateur on the ground e- e- tonight. Even Ghostbusters 2 is better than... Uh, uh, Ghostbusters 2 is a good film. It's better than Space Jam. A very overrated film from uh, at least our childhood. Well, Space Jam is, I think, such a huge thing in a lot of people's childhoods that they can't admit that it was actually terrible. It, it was. But I get how on, when you're a kid, it's the coolest thing ever because it's Bugs Bunny... Plus Michael Jordan, but yeah, you know you need to be able to look past that, right? If you know, I mean, when yeah, if, if you're in the he's not even in this one. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. get to that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We want to clarify: we're not discussing Space Jam for a half hour. We're talking about the new Riz Ahmed film, Sound of Metal. It's actually it's not that new. It's new in the sense that uh, you know it's just been nominated for Best Picture, but it was out in cinemas like three months ago, and we we did not go to see it. It came out on Amazon like two months ago, um, yeah. and we've, we're finally catching up because we've made it our mission when we realized that we've covered six of the eight Best Picture nominees to complete the roster on Film Fight Club. I'm a little bit more excited about this. I can't decide whether I'm more excited about Space Jam, talk about Space Jam or the Oscars. It's yeah. Look, so Glenn uh, is uh, I think let's, let's drop the pretense. about the Oscars. Let's drop the pretense. Uh, we love the Oscars because we can't no. get enough of it. No, we, we, we love do. to compare. It's like it's hate-watching. You know, Oscars are essential hate watching for anyone in the film community. Like we yeah. complain about it every year, but we but as the ratings drop, we still keep tuning in. It is true, but also we the are same the ratings to the Oscars, right? Let's <laughs> face it. Yeah. But at the same time, once they get it wrong, let's say they get it wrong for best picture or best actor, or actress, director, we will be the only ones complaining about it because we do care about the Oscars. We, we will not be the only. We ones. won't be the only ones. Everyone <laughs> will complain, and they'll all tune in, and the show will merrily roll again into the next decade. <laughs> the question and is, we'll continue the Oscars. The well, book. well, there's sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. Speaking of best actor, we're probably covering this week and next week in terms of the father, the two films that are vying seriously for best actor. Yeah, most the, seriously. the father with Anthony Hopkins next week, and Ahmed this week in Sound of Metal. But before we get into that, we just want to talk briefly news of the week. The Nintendo Documentary Film Festival is having an event on Saturday. The city, sorry, the Australia Silent Film Festival is having an event at the Mitchell Library on Macquarie Street on Sunday. Um, coming up at the end of the month is the second monthly sequel of Thunder at the Chippendale Hotel. Chris and I went along last week to the first one and saw the winner. The idea is you make a film five minutes or less, you vote on the winner, and the winner gets to make a sequel next month. The, ep- the emphasis is very much on ideas and creativity as opposed to production design. So if you've got anything shooting around in your head that you can knock together quickly. Don't be afraid. Um, it's a very welcoming community from what we saw there. And, you know, it's a it's a cool concept and it's great to have another uh, shot film night in Sydney. There's a real lack of them at the moment outside of Kino, Sydney. We stress budget, like not required. You can just cobble something together. It's good fun. I'm submitting something next week, put my money where my mouth is. So sorry, yeah. next month. I'm going to two as well, actually. Yeah, we'll see. Wow. Whose cool. cuisine will reign supreme. <laughs> and who will get a, have, get to make a sequel next month. Yeah. Wow, two two critics uh, actually submitting movies. This is revolutionary. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the, it'll be the beginning of our new Australian new wave, you know, Okaya <laughs> de Cinema moment. Film uh, Direction Fight Club. Well, I'm a film curator, so I might as well, you know, submit, and then we could all have a mini party. 
I don't know if I could take the criticism. I mean, I can dish it out, but can I take it? No, it's, it's, it's not that sort of environment. It's welcoming, inclusive. Not that weird. Not that critics uh, I, generally aren't, but it's a let's celebrate your films, watch them. I'll, as be, I'll, to be, I'll be nice to you, both. Be hypercritical, like we are. Which one's Truffaut and which one's Goddard? <laughs> be very careful for it. No, it has to be. It has to be Agnes Varda, and which one is Goddard? <laughs> mm. You know, depends on who uh, basically allows you to stay over and who says fuck you. Hmm. All right, that's. Actually, fair. Um, <laughs> so, uh, before we get into Sound of Metal, the trailer for Space Jam 2, because uh, importantly, the only film you'll ever have to watch ever, because it has every other movie in it that's ever oh, yeah, been created what, what that more will be could, made. What more could you possibly want? I can't believe the first IP they showed in this trailer was Game of Thrones. I mean, I like Game of Thrones, but damn, there's a lot of people who are not happy with how that panned oh, out. Right. And uh, is this really what you want to be headlining your movie with? There's always time to change the CGI, but that was probably approved of, you know, around the time that everyone turned of Game of Thrones when it, it, it was the biggest thing in the world for a little while. And it's then 10 years this uh, coming up. They just, JJ just released their own trailer of this anniversary. Anyway, Space Jam 2, we don't need this. Okay. I- but the thing, the first Space Jam was uh, Michael Jordan visits the world of the Looney Tunes. This one. LeBron James enters the database of Warner Brothers, right? <laughs> Looney Tunes are in it, but it's also look at all the IP we have. The most astute thing I've seen people say about this is that the timing is not a coincidence. It's an ad for HBO Max, which launched this year in America. Um, it was probably intended to be showing in theaters, um, you know, and then out on HBO Max in a few months, but COVID's changed everything. So it's debuting on HBO Max and in theaters at the same time. Um, so if you don't yep. already have HBO Max, here's, here is your ad. Or binge in Australia. It's funny because uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League has done more for HBO Max signups than... Yeah, probably. But than one, you know, there are other tentpole releases well, so far. Apparently Godzilla vs. Kong is killing it in America. But to <laughs> clarify what I mean, HBO Max... Um, Maybe Game of Thrones is that HBO association to really yeah, drill in the uh, HBO yeah, Max ad. Definitely. But remember when it was good? Go back and watch it. Yeah. But um, it's all about nostalgia. HBO Max, um, it's HBO branded, but it contains everything Warner Brothers, everything Warner Brothers owns. So here's a film saying, look at all the properties that we own. Essentially, it, it, it's... It's telling It's trying to create a positive association with, wow, look at all the cool brands Warner Brothers own. How... Nightmarishly dystopic is the idea of a movie about a man getting trapped in the world of Warner Brothers IP. It's this extreme capitalist hallucination. It's terrifying. And we've seen film versions thereof like this, the Lego movie, Wreck-It Ralph 2, a couple of others. We're obviously judging, we're not judging, we're commenting on a trailer. We haven't seen the film. Uh, We can watch it, dear listener, if you want us to. I just see this is as a panoply of IP, which I cannot get excited about. There's nothing in this which tells us about a story that is imagined in the beyond the original Space Jam, nor the idea that, hey, look at all this stuff you like, including this nostalgia for the first film, because, hey, parents, well, you saw this when you were a kid, you're probably going to take your kids to um, playing off the same riff as a lot of the Disney films have with the new resurgence of 90s Disney Renaissance live action films. You know what's funny? Glenn, when you mentioned this last week, you were so excited about Space Jam uh, that Ver- I thought, you know, that I thought <laughs> that you actually were like, oh my God, he's a fan. Ver- Ver- and I'm Ver- totally Con- taken aback by this because I was not prepared for this uh, very sarcastic diatribe. This is not sarcastic, this is just resigned. And Varak, I tell my hyper, uh, non-happy, exaggerated. Yeah, I just, I, look, I'll, we may see it. I, I can't get too excited. The thing that makes it particularly cynical 
um, compared to some of the other films you mentioned. One you didn't mention is Ready Player One of these oh IP God, matchup sorry, films. Sorry, the, the one I should have mentioned first and foremost. But um, And maybe the granddaddy of them all is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which, which the, was original and good. Yeah, and which is the predecessor of the first Space Jam. Right? Mel Blanc was actually in it, so there you Right. But the thing is that Wreck-It Ralph 2 is maybe the most toxic one before this in that it's, hey, look at all the Disney stuff, Disney, Disney, Disney. Um, but the previous ones you mentioned are at least mashing together things owned by different people. I know this, this might sound like very, very faint praise, but at least in the case of Ready Player One, even if misguided, it was born out of a book written with genuine love for a bunch of different properties. It what it's it's a about fanboy nostalgia. It's not driven by corporate directives. Lego Movie is um, a bit more driven by corporate directives, but it still works better as a film and as a concept and as an ad because that's what Lego lets you do. Take um, a Star Wars character and Batman, all the things that have Lego sets, and just and throw them together. In this case, it's the the corporate directive of advertise Warner Brothers um, and our streaming service, all the things you can watch, driving the story. I mean, there was still something sincere and honest about the first Space Jam. I mean, it was timed with Jordan's return to the NBA. There was this kind of cathartic kind of release to it. Oh, you know, this is his movie, kind of a comeback, uh, you know, and he has a, his own arc at that point in time in terms of retirement, going to baseball, coming back to basketball again. But LeBron as a character and like, you know, he's just riding on this King James vibe. He has none of that art. Tom Cheadle calls him King in the... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's not forget that the first Space Jam is actually based on an ad. There was an ad yeah. with Bugs Bunny and I know, Michael but like the, time, the timing of the first Space Jam at least coincided with things happening in Jordan's actual career, which kind of made sense for him to be like, oh, this is kind of a comeback. Yeah. I want to be say, look, Story. we're being a little cynical and we're having fun with it. Just but we a should be cynical I want about to be, this. I want to be clear that this may very well turn on its head and be, and I do think the Lego movie was good in this regard, about corporate cynicism. And yes, we're showing all these properties, but being self-aware and intelligent to a degree. I like that there's a lot of interesting properties in here. I saw Scooby-Doo, the Clockwork Orange guys, Alex the Large, et cetera. Okay, we have to talk about be, that. We have to, could, And I hope it could be... Better. We have than to we, talk the, about the that. The trailer gives it credit for the Clockwork Orange guys being in this is so messed up. Seriously, um, I, I saw a funny take on Twitter where okay, you we're not allowed to have Pepe Le Pew in this movie, but we're allowed to have a gang of actual rapists in a kids movie. Like it, it's it really represents what's wrong with this whole thing, which is like, hey, remember, oh, I like this thing. Remember this thing, and stripping it completely from its context, so that when you actually, yeah. if you actually get reignited of the memories of a Clockwork Orange, you're like, why the hell is Bugs Bunny and Alex Delage sharing the frame? This shouldn't happen. And let's be very clear: the iconography they're using from a Clockwork Orange. Um, is the iconography of them egging each other on as they commit violent acts of sexual assault? Yeah. Um, if you want to hear me say something good about this movie, um, I thought the CGI and the art direction looks amazing. It's clear that this is a prestige product for the Warner Brothers AT&T empire and they've spared no expense compared to Marvel movies, my usual punching bag. It, the CG looks way more convincing. I thought the art direction is incredible. Um, I like the little bit of 2D animated LeBron James they show in the trailer. I don't like that the Looney Tunes are CG, yeah. but I you know, I would have preferred Who Framed Roger Rabbit, original Space Jam, 2D Looney Tunes. But if they wanted something more seamlessly mixing with all this CG, I get it. The CG Looney Tunes still look good. The whole thing looks great, and you technically. Know um, Zendaya is Lola Bunny. Um, she's okay. Great. She's a great actress. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, sure. Cool. 
Better than Malcolm and Marie, to be honest. There's, uh, well, we haven't she, seen it yet. She was all right in Malcolm and Marie. It's, it's the writing that let her down. No one could have been that good in <laughs> in Malcolm and Marie. You know. But no, I, Chris, I think you raise a valid point, and I think this is something that I'm resting or you know wrestling actually comfortably with is. Should we support corporates even if they are being self-aware about their own corporatization? No, if it's, just, if it's a good movie and Lego movie, I'll defend it. Yes, um, it's a cynical film about how capitalism is bad to sell toys in a movie, but it's a good, entertaining film with an actual decent moral message about spending time with your children and family. So I'm okay. I was okay with Lego movie, not so much the other ones and, that and, we referenced and, in this episode. And then, and then they sold uh, franchises and toys on the yeah, and the other app. movies weren't as good. Yeah. But they made a good film in and of itself. This could be, but off the trailer it doesn't pretend to greatly the reason why i was always optimistic about um the lego movie is that phil lord and chris miller are great i don't believe there's that level of talent behind this uh this space jam thing and you know when they weren't as directly involved in the lego movies anymore the quality just dropped off you know it's rare that there are people who have that level of wit to make this kind of corporate product sing as those guys in, in charge of one of these things. So, yep. you know, I'm I'm not optimistic. Everything is not awesome. Yeah. So that is our coverage of the Space Jam 2 trailer. We may or may not cover it when the film Help Us Not Help Us is released. But for the rest of the episode, you're listening to Film Fight Club with Glenn Falcon Chris Evans and Rodney Rue. We're talking about the Oscar nominee new Riz Ahmed film, Sound of Metal. It is starring Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook from Ready Player One, much better film with a much better role, and directed by Darius Marta. It is about a punk metal drummer in a band who's on tour and very suddenly finds that his hearing is deteriorating and it's about the impact of that on his life and how he deals with it in a practical and emotional way. Um, I'm going to say that I really liked this film. I think there were pacing issues towards the end. I think the stars of this are Riz Ahmed and the sound design, which were exceptionally done. Um, it deals with a area of cinema area that isn't generally covered in cinema. To that effect, they need to use have quite clever use of sound and sound design, and think they pulled that off. Yeah, absolutely. The sound design um, does what it needs to do, and there's a, a lot being asked of it. Yeah, I mean the last movie I can think of comparatively that uses uh, sound design in a in a music sense to convey the inner trappings again, drummer, a uh, whiplash would be a direct oh, right. correlation for that, and a lot of that kind of uh, discombobulation moments uh, in this film reminded me of whiplash, but in a better sense because uh, I think the interesting journey arc, it, the film did a very good job of using sound design to get you inside. Uh, Riz Ahmed's head uh, in those moments, especially. Uh, before we get into the uh, continuing, uh, talking about this aspect of it, I just want to touch on something at the beginning of the film, and that is the nature of the setting. Now, we don't see in too many mainstream films the idea of focusing on a metal or punk band. Certainly there is a misnomer, um, and among many fortunes in society, that people who are involved in these sorts of communities have certain dispositions or actually violent or negative towards each other. Certainly, if you ever spend any time in these environments, uh, by and large, this is not the case. And I think the film goes a long way to disambiguating that and showing an environment which, true to life, like many metal and punk and punk metal environments, are involved by empathetic individuals who care a lot for each other, and that is certainly the ethos that this film propels. There's something very... Um real feeling about these depictions. And I think it it is partly owing to that co-writer um, or co-story writer Derek Cian France based this on his own experiences. He's the director of um, Place Beyond the Pines and uh, Blue Valentine, but he was in a metal band and suffered hearing as a drummer and suffered hearing loss before he got into filmmaking more. 
So a lot of this hangs on the sound designer because it is all from the main character's perspective and we are situated in their space and their mind uh, by consequence of the way the film um, is structured. Now, we, as Chris mentioned, this appeared in cinemas quite a while ago. I watched this on streaming. Part of it because of the did. environment I was in, I had to watch with subtitles. Uh, we, we've talked in this show before about how um, we prefer to watch films at cinemas. There's nothing wrong with streaming. This film in particular, however, whether you watch it in a cinema or via streaming. It's the sort of thing headphones. which is immersive. You want to watch it without distractions, with headphones, and in an environment where you can pay attention to the sound design and um, the communications between characters, because a lot of it is very subtle. Um, and we see this not just in the way that uh, we're forced to infer. First-learned persons who don't speak sign, my understanding of sign is um, extremely basic. I can understand some of the letters. And... Also, later in the film, when we see someone use a language other than English in uh, traditional in, in, in parlance, um, this language I don't speak. I also have a very basic answer. I can pick up a few words, but for persons who don't understand the multiple non the multiple languages used in this film, which um, then you, like myself included, you had to infer a lot through the action and dialogue. I've always enjoyed this. We've seen this done in a lot of films like The Shape of Water, the very famous Hush episode of Buffy. And uh, when it's done well, it can be done to great effect. And I think this film did because I like to be able to infer um, action and motivation from character interaction rather than simply um, traditionally spoken dialogue. And I think this film did that well. I think at the heart of this film, um, though she's missing for a large part of the narrative, is the relationship between Ahmed and Cook's characters, which I thought was very accurately and quite um, uh, in, in quite a wise way was presented, the, um, the relationship at the core of this film. I, th- I felt like um, the way that she um, showed concern for him was sort of tolerated his outbursts but was clearly being hurt by it um as well as the way the the film depicts how people change away from each other felt very real to me i think for this film to work you needed a setup where you could feel his sense of not just total immersion within this world but loss and uh, lack of beginning to continue with it and that relied on two things one as chris says and understanding the importance of his relationship to him, which is imparted. And another is just the centrality of the music and his role as a drummer in this life. And even though we spend a very little time in watching him play or practice or do gigs, we I think we get a very good idea of just how much this is a part of his identity. I think the film does a beautiful uh, sort of character study in realising that someone who spent a majority of his life focusing only on music, and for him that's been you know, the be-all and end-all for most of his life. There is not much correlation and connection with a lot of other people. This, you know, music has been his world and his, you know, partner. Otherwise, beyond that, there's no not much connection. And he hasn't actually attempted to do that either. And so when he's forced into the situation, finally to connect with other people in the community, I think those uh, situations felt very real and also those interactions felt earned at that point in time. Because he's, he's also an addict um, and a, a re- in recovery four years clean. Um, and so the film is also about... Um, the this addiction to music, if not uh, well, anything else, yeah. And, but also the addiction to a certain way of living and the struggle for a person in that position to be at ease. We get the sense that his life is, you know, in, in has always been sort of constantly a whirlwind, and it's hard for you know that's the distraction from addiction, and when that's taken away, it's very hard to cope. It's a neat metaphor for how 
I mean, this, the, the met, sound of metal and this music may seem chaotic and anarchic, but it is analogous for many people's lives how you have structure. And when that structure is taken away from, there's a nice inverse way this film works in that when that is taken away, everything seems more calm. But for him, it's actually discombobulating. So it really puts us in a different position than we're otherwise used to. Usually it's the inverse um, thematically and um, in terms of how sound and uh, kineticism is employed for how we would perceive these sorts of um, challenges. I have to give props to the screenwriting for the subtlety with which this is conveyed. You know, um, they could have really spelt it out about, oh, you need to, you need everything to be frantic. You need, you know, but we, we infer that, you know, the, the connection yeah. to his addiction is never spelt out. Yeah. But it's, it's clear. Mm. You think about it. Well, it's, and we see this with environment. He goes to an environment where the number of people who are looking to um, adjust to life uh, without the ability to hear, but also like him who suffer, have suffered addiction. Yeah. Very, very, uh, an environment I haven't seen depicted before in film. It's very powerful. That's what I was going to say. That there's something so um, unique about the specifics that this film gets into that we see not just a community for the deaf, but the Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, anonymous meetings within a community for the deaf. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so it's specific. It feels like an entire kind of lived, uh, sort of com lived community as such, which is not just a community of people who are deaf, but also people with different lifestyles and different mm. experiences as well within that community, which was like a sub-community within a larger community itself. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to give it to, I'm just bringing up the actor's name, the uh, Paul Rossi, Paul Rossi, who ran this community. Uh, the character was named Joe. Joe. Absolutely yeah. amazing. I haven't seen him in anything before. Is he nominated for Best Supporting Actor? I should have looked that he, up before the show. He, he may very well he be. He should be. He um, should be. He was I, very good. Yeah, I, yeah. I liked that whole segment of the film piece performance and just, again, how distinct the situation is. We are told, and it is impressed upon us to a degree, the significance which the Riz Ahmed character begins to play in this community. Honestly, could have spent a little bit more time learning about that, seeing the practical impact he had. It felt like it ended too quickly. Told. Yeah, I could have spent a lot more time there. I loved the final stretch of this film. I feel like there's a really tragic resonance and a profundity in, in um, the ideas about acceptance that the film's exploring. Mm. But I still feel like that would have registered more heavily if we had spent more time to show the change, as you were saying. My issue with the final length of this film, I agree that it's very profound, but I think from a dramatic perspective, it becomes very obvious the direction the film is going. That's I could fine. Tell. I could tell. And that's fine because it's just the logical conclusion, but then the film drags out. It becomes a little bit of a pacing issue when the film is otherwise quite has quite a great momentum. So you know where the film is going long before it gets there. I feel the second act could have been... 15 minutes longer and the final act can be 15 minutes shorter and it would have been just as much better. I think I think you're right that that might improve the film, but I did not find the last section to stretch. For me, I would rather this film just go 15 minutes longer in general. Actually, uh, I, I would have wanted the film to lead into the second act sooner. So, like, you know, the, the setup was not required as much as we well, got in the, in the initial sort of 20 minutes or so. I, I, right? I enjoyed... The, uh, seeing it, it build and the, the sense of desperation build, but it feels like the most conventional part of the film because, you know, it, when that it starts, you yeah. see a lot of, you know, du dude screaming and it's like, you know, being sad and it's like, oh, okay, it's just misery it, porn it, Oscar it, movie. It, but no, it's, but it was it's setting in that the frantic, in the, that franticness that's yeah. uh, grounding Reza Ahmed's character. So I, I get that, that, why that was necessary. But at the same time, I felt if the 10 minutes there, we could have taken in to really feel and understand spending more in the community I think uh, and take away, you know, from those 20 minutes, make that a 15 minute or 10 minute kind of opening act. Mm. That would have been much, I think, 
a smoother card and transition. Mm. I felt we need more of the uh, the opening act that we had. I said before, it was so important to situate us, understand his feeling of loss, but I think also the procedural impact of what the decisions he had to make and what was required of him. I mean, he faces a conflict, as does the others who come into his sphere of um, how do I cope with this? What direction do I want to take? How will it define me? And I, without, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I liked how the film handled this. It has ideas of um, adaptation, mm. of finding a sense of self, of belonging very importantly, which I handled quite sensitively. Absolutely. Um, I've, I felt all the performances in this were really good. Um, it, it's a lesser role in terms of screen time than Paul Rassi maybe and, and Riz Ahmed, but I thought Olivia Cook was really great. Yes, she was. And, um, and the kind of overall feeling of uh, acceptance and belonging and reminded me of Leave No Trace as well. So um, I can see that. Another film about adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. In, in that sense, I think uh, those uh, moments of uh, just, especially how the environment is having an impact and it changes you as much as you change it mm-hmm. as well. So... We see that with both Olivia Cook and Riz Ahmed's characters yeah. when they have to be in different environments than they're used to. It changes them without them realising that they've been changed. Mm, mm. So that was kind of beautiful without it being spelt out. Mm. And I like the times in this film where we have unlimited ambient audio, audio otherwise or absolute silence, not just because it does situate us in his world, but it emphasises... Um, the sound for those, uh, for someone like someone myself, um, the sound when eventually it does come around, something that I think we often take for granted in cinema, the use of sound. We've seen, I remember as an anecdote when um, The Last Jedi came out, there was the scene where there was no audio to the point, and it was such a strange thing that cinemas had to point out in the lobby, there is a scene where there's no audio, you have not, uh, we have, there's not been an issue with the sound system, we're just so used to it. So to see a film which... Um, plays with that, which um, shows circumstances where you can benefit from visual language and a character interaction's absent sound. Um, I think it's great. I think it's really a lot difficult because, um, as a friend of ours once said, I think uh, you can... A lot of people will forgive bad visual language in films, but they won't forgive bad sound. It's instinctive to watch it and listen to it in films, so a lack thereof in this did benefit, um, I think, the story in many respects. I have to give props to the sound design for conveying several different levels of hearing. You know, that we've got... Yes. Okay, yeah, that, that's that's a very good point. I mean, it's not just complete discombobulation and, you know, lack of sound. It's also different... Uh, uh, frequencies, yeah, different different frequencies, different levels of tinnitus, um, different levels of assisted hearing, and how that might sound. Um, all of which, feed in in the way that they're presented to us, feed into our understanding of Ahmed's um, mental state, especially towards the end. And actually, it's like at the beginning when he was when this came as a shock to him, and he situ- was situated in this world where he's panicking and concerned. And um, and and it's it's very powerful. Um, I liked how he could, they could have told us here's where he is, here's where how much he can understand. Uh, but no, they had the integrity to make this as relatable as possible for those ex- who experience like situations. Mm. And I think what's interesting also about this is that this is very much a personal story of dealing with deafness. This isn't everyone's story this isn't universal this is about what one person goes through in terms of the conclusions it goes to 
Yeah, but but I think making it a lived experience and making uh, you know showing us those communities makes it uh, a lot more universal because it doesn't cheapen the narrative. You know, I was I didn't know about these uh, communities. No, I had so, no idea. So uh, being firstly introduced to them, this was actually a very nice and 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 very empathetic primer because you know th- then I can understand a bit more about them and also what they actually would literally hear mm-hmm. in these circumstances. So I was there as much as I could be in those shoes. There's a very touching scene which might give a bit of a double entendre to the title where he's interacting with a child over a, a slippery slide. Yeah, I was yeah. about yeah. to bring this scene up. It's wonderful. And it just gives a better idea of how music can be conveyed and in forms that won't be traditional for many. And it's very powerful. If anything, um, I feel like there should have been more focus if which maybe could have been there if as you were saying we had extended out this second act yeah. um on the way that he could use his his drumming to help yeah. this community because that's a form of music that is the most transmissible yes um to people who have hearing disabilities so you you would think that he would have quite a strong place to play in that community by sharing that with people but that would also be the most obvious route and i'm glad the movie didn't go that way so that was still um, interesting i think it would have been great but i'm glad for where the where is this film did take the story. That's a very good film. That is The Sound of Metal. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. Recommend uh, giving yourself as much of a most experienced pop solo watching it, even if you aren't in a cinema or home theatre. The sequel thon is happening, I think it's April 27th, the last Tuesday of every month, and Ten Documentary Film Festival having an event this Saturday, the Australian Silent Film Festival on Sunday. Um, Space Jam trailer is everywhere now. A we're, new legacy. We're back next week talking all things The Father, the final little bit of Oscar coverage. This has been Glenn Founts, Chris Evans, Rutney Roo. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. Have a wonderful night and enjoy movies. Good night.